1: You Hallelujah. Jesus is in the house. Hallelujah. Yes, his presence is already here. Jesus, we love you. We adore you. Hallelujah. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Who is glad today? Hallelujah. Jesus is Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We love on you. Thank you for your sweet presence with us this morning. Hallelujah. Worthy, worthy. Glory. We're going to read Psalm 19. Hallelujah. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the earth. In them he has set a tent for the sun. Hallelujah. He's worthy of praise. There is none like our God. There is none holy. There's none mighty. There is none eternal. I sought the Lord, and he heard me. That is my testimony. I sought the Lord, and he heard me. And he delivered me from all my fears. Hallelujah. And today he's here. You have fears? Let him in. Hallelujah. He will do a deep work in you. The hand of God will go in your heart. Hallelujah. And pull out anything we don't need there, so he can fill you with his fullness. Father, we thank you that you are here. Who is like unto you, ancient of days? the Lord of glory, the Prince of Peace, the mighty God, the First and the last. Oh, mighty God, we open our hearts to you. Come fill us and do your work in us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You most welcome. Hallelujah.
0: Hallelujah. I want everyone to just close your eyes for me deep breath in breathe out and for a couple of seconds I want you to experience the peace of being still and knowing that he is God the absolute pleasure he has in you just being the total relief you have in this moment that you can just be you don't have to be anything for anyone in this moment there's nothing you need to do there's nothing you need to accomplish there's no one you need to impress there's no work to be done Still and know that He is God. Jesus, we thank you for the ability to just be, for the relief that we find when we allow our soul and our spirit to rest. We don't have to perform for anyone here. We don't have to perform for you. We don't have to prove anything. We just have to be our authentic self that you have created. And so we allow this spirit of worship to break through the facades and the barriers, our defenses, and we just be in your presence. We thank you that the story of history has always been about the greatest mountain that God has moved is to be with his people. And that you will move heaven and earth to get to your children. And what a beautiful picture that as we journey through this season of Lent, we are coming to this mountain called death that you have even overcome that for your children. We thank you that the ultimate mountain has already been moved. We don't need to fear any other mountain. We thank you for the rest that we can always find in your presence and with the people of God. And all God's people say, amen.
2: So we're jumping back into Mark. We've been preaching through Mark and then other kind of one-offs when we feel like we're supposed to, but we're in Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 27. So if you wanna go ahead and open your Bible, apps, um, or your actual Bibles, then we're gonna be in Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 27. As we start that, Um, A couple things happened in this past week that is not very fun for me to have to walk through. One, on Friday or Thursday, Bill and I were in here, and we had an argument, a loving argument as we do, about who was right on a certain issue of when this building was made. I was certain, if if you can't tell who won, (laughs) it's very important for him to win, okay? Silently sitting there. I thought it was 1996, and I was ready to like stake claim. I would have probably put my house on it. He was like, no. And Bill, and Bill voice, no, it was 1999. I was like, Bill, it wasn't. It was not, because I remember talking to the landlord. It was 20 years old. He was like, okay. <laughs> That's when with Bill, you know that you're about to lose, because he's just happy to set you up for it. So I called. I did what anybody would do: called a very busy person that has the building and made sure that got the right answer with my time. And they told me it was 1999. So I was not happy to tell him that he was right. I did tell him he was right. Um, I I don't like losing to Bill. I don't lose it much to Bill, but <laughs> but at that I lost. <laughs> On the night before that, Sarah and I, um, I got a new phone and. This is going somewhere, I promise. And I love like finding out what kind of ringtones and specifically the wake up tone for me is massively huge because I already wake up not in a good place. I literally have to get to church three hours before other people or it's bad. Uh, I'm here before it's light because I just have to have time to kind of transition into my day. And I found this song which is amazing. It's one of my favorite songs. second argument <laughs> second argument i was certain that was in pride and prejudice sarah was like no josh it's not in i was like okay let me just look it up so i then looked on google where everything is accurate and it's definitely not dang it it was mr holland's opus it's actually older than that it's not it didn't it didn't popularize that song but i love that song but i was I was also not happy and she handles it differently than Bill. <laughs> she does a whole different that's what she does. And so it brings up and it's funny how just God gives me these little like random one-offs to something I'm sharing on the weekend. But when you find out that you're wrong or you're told that you're wrong, it's not it's not necessarily something that any of us are interested in usually with laughable things like that. It's okay with massive things, it's much harder. It's hard to be the one on the receiving end of someone telling you, you're really wrong. You're quite wrong right now. It's hard to say, knowing to someone else who is wrong, that's heading for something that's not helpful for themselves or other people, to say to them, you're quite wrong, and to know that sometimes they're not gonna care what you're saying. That's the hardest thing. That's even harder than being told when you're not gonna listen. But I think a lot of it has to do with who's telling you that. I think we have the people in our lives that there's certain people that if they called you no matter what they said, I've, I've been following you, listening to you, I've been, you know, we're, we're friends, you're, you're quite wrong about this. I need, to, I need to share this with you. There's certain people that if they did that, you would be like, okay, I'm listening, right? There's also other people who would say that that you would never listen to. And I recommend not listening to everybody that thinks you're wrong because we're all wrong at something. So today we're picking back up in Mark. And the content of this passage is a lot of things that could be one-offs that I'm not going to spend a ton of time on. There's a lot of talk of angelic things. There's talk of resurrection we're going to spend some time on. Specifically with the Sadducees, they don't believe in anything outside of the natural realm, not even heaven. They believe that they get what they get, and, and it's going to be when they get it, and then they die, and there's nothing there. And this is the Sadducees. I don't want to spend a ton of time on that. I don't want to spend a ton of time on how we romanticize the demonic especially in evangelical churches we romanticize the demonic give credit to all kinds of demonic things pray against the evil spirits and let's do that but we have a harder time talking about the positive light of the spiritual world right like I even get a little uncomfortable when people talk about angels too much we just don't understand it rightly and when we were when we were in youth ministry Sarah and I had somebody come and visit the youth ministry we were in and they abused the content of angels and Kids weren't standing for worship, which was like everything, right? Like, if, you, if you're not standing for worship, then you are not worshiping all, that's all not true and very much a lie. Um, posture of your heart is much more what you be standing. So, but they said, if you sit during worship, you're sitting on an angel <laughs> to like seven and eight year olds who are like, uh... <laughs> can you imagine that theology as you grow? like you're never sitting again in service, right? But that that is better than you're sitting on a demon and then that's worse. But I don't want to spend this message on that content, even though I think there is valid energy that needs to be spent on the positive light of the spiritual realm, right? I don't want to hear the doomsday people that were going to tell me how the world is doomed and it's worse than ever been and you need to be ready because as much as let's talk about what Jesus is doing on this planet, let's not vilify everything as much as let's build up the body of Christ and talk about what God is doing, right? Christians are way too good at talking about all the negatives and really, really, really bad at talking about what God is doing. We're the ones that celebrate what God is doing, right? So I love that part of this. That's not what we're talking about today. (laughs) So Mark 12, 18 through 27. Refresh your app. And the Sadducees came to him, who say that there is no resurrection. Side so note, this is the only interaction in this gospel with Sadducees. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up the offspring for his brother. <laughs> There's a lot there. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong going into? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. <laughs> so let's pray real quick. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guide you in this prayer. So close your eyes if that's going to help you. In your prayer, I want you to interact with the fact that Jesus actually, five days after this was written, or the stories talked about, Jesus actually rose from the dead. And the implications for you as a human being in this room right now, flooding your mind and heart, Jesus rose for you specifically. The resurrected Christ offers you new life that is outside of our realm of reality, using things like born again, salvation, these phrases to talk through what happens when we receive Christ. In this prayer, I want you to recognize in your being, what are the powers that be that raise up in you and tell you that it's not true? What's the first thing that says, oh, it's too good to be true? No, that's not, no. And Jesus, as we wrestle with that thought, as we transition into this, help us to hear you say to that thing that's saying that you are quite wrong. And then help us to see in this prayer, Jesus, what you were trying to show the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the religious leaders that all approached Jesus to trick him. What were you showing them? What was the thing that was better than even what the Sadducees thought? What is the thing in our hearts right now that is weaker than what you're trying to tell us about the truth that you rose for us specifically? What is that thing? Help us to see it by the end of today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, carrying on with this, next up is the Sadducees. You've already heard, this has been a long day for Jesus on the top of the temple People are all over the city, there for what's about to happen. He's three. He's, it's Wednesday, so he's two days from Friday, which is a big day, and then he's five days from or four days, five days, four days. Wednesday to Sunday, that's four, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's four, four days from Sunday when he rises again. So this is all happening. This is the third that we've seen in this passage of someone approaching him while he's walking on the building, and he's teaching people about the gospel, and what's to come. This is the third time. So the Sadducees are up, and the Sadducees are coming up, and they're feeling good. So who are the Sadducees? A lot of them are priests and religious leaders. They're extremely wealthy. They are in partnership with Rome, so that's not typical. They are helping make decisions. They are very set because they are, they're in a spot that other people want to be. And the tricky part about them is they're not working towards anything post this life. So everything that, they believe that every good gift that happens or every blessing would come in this lifetime, which would help them to frame everything about what they receive, right? Instead of thinking about things like this, the, in Smyrna as it is in heaven, when you think of that, right, we think of just what comes to your mind. Don't say it out loud. Just think through it, right? Just, we're in a good spot right here. you right there, I'm right here. Just think through it, right? So in Smyrna as it is in heaven, I don't typically think, of the streets of gold, right? I don't. When when we read that, I don't think we need streets of gold in Smyrna, right? We think of things. We're we're much more intelligent than that. We think of things like we need peace in Smyrna. We need people to be freed from oppression in Smyrna. We need we need racism to be destroyed in Smyrna. We need people who are poor to be refreshed. These are the things we think of, right? These are the things that I think are being said here about what Jesus is trying to do. So who are the Sadducees? The Sadducees also only believe in the first five books of the Bible, which is called the what? Or the, yeah, Pentateuch or the Torah. So the tricky part about this is, Jesus actually says to them, don't you know the scripture? And I just don't wanna spend much time here, but this is to the argument of a lot of my pastor friends who say, we preach the word. That means a different thing to different people, right? So in this case, these guys believe that they have the right lens on the word. They don't. They believe it. They follow it to the letter, to their thoughts. This is, I would say this much about this. We all have a lens that we see the Bible through. And I would just say, if you're ever around somebody who says they're doing it exactly, you need to step back. If they're trying to capitalize on that, they are, we preach the word here. Everybody preaches the word. What, what lens are you preaching it through, Right. What lens? Are you trying to tell me Ananias and Sapphira, like that's a model for if we keep offering back? Because a lot of us are dying today, right? (laughs) Like, I just want you to know that when, because I think some people would preach this this way. You You know neither the word of God or the power of God. We would say, yeah, if you step away from scripture, that's not what the argument is. They are in scripture incorrectly. They are in scripture so much that anything else, even from Jesus, will not form their beliefs. So, Curveball to Christians, whenever you hear a pastor like me say, I preach the word of God, you just need to be like, all right, Joshua, well, let's talk through that. What is your version of what's being said? Because we all have a lens. We all have a lens. Whether you believe that or not, we all have a lens. That's why we have community and the spirit of God to wrestle through this with, right? We're not, not one of us are going to capitalize on this whole thing. Amen. I don't know why I got off on that tangent so much. I think I do know why, because I've had people preach this passage in that way. They spent the whole content telling people, if you step away from the word, then you're going to die, and you're going to go to hell, and it's gonna, cars are going to fly into buildings. There are going to be magical cars that fly into buildings. It's like, just back off. We all have a lens that we read scripture through. That's not what this is about. This is Jesus trying to introduce a new way to see it through the lens of Jesus, And I just think it's important that you don't lock into that, right? So, what's being said here? Well, the first thing is this is, they're taking a passage from Deuteronomy 25, which I wanna read to you. This gets jacked up, okay? So just to settle down, this is actual scripture. So I'm gonna read Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10. This is what they're trying to trap him in, and this argument honestly has worked for them. It was historically known as kind of a joke, like when a Pharisee, because they didn't get along, a Pharisee and a Sadducee, they would start to talk about, well, what do you think about the resurrection, Pharisee? And they would bring up this story. It's kind of like a joke. And they'd be like, hey, we're going to do the thing again with the leave marriage. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) So these seven dudes and this wife, and they're like all laughing and giggling and people walk away and they feel like they've won. The reason it's happening to Jesus is because this has worked before. This has worked on other people. It's not going to work on Jesus. Okay. So this is what it comes from though. If brothers dwell together, they actually leave that part out. They don't Put that part in, the Sadducees. And one of them dies and has no son. I'm just telling you guys to prepare yourselves for this. Just hold, just stay with me. The wife of the dead man shall not be married outside of the family to a stranger. Her her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. Also known as the first child that comes from them is the previous brothers. Jacked up, but okay, let's keep going. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed, that's what I am just said, shall, so succeed the name of the, his dead brother, and that, I can't even read today, guys, I'm so sorry, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, my, my husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel, he will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him. And and if he persists saying, I do not wish to take her, then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders and pull his sandal off of his foot and spit in his face. And And she shall answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And the name of the house shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal pulled off. I'm just, I'm not even joking. I, my, my son would write this the heck out of this story. This, that, that is the put down. The house of him who has his sandal pulled off. Like I, when I was reading this this morning over again, I was picturing Elf reading this. And it was like, and then they got to the house of the man whose sandal was pulled off. It's just really silly. Can we just be honest about some of it like that? That's, that's ridiculously crazy. It also proves the point that you need context in Scripture when you're reading. Because does anybody, and there's going to be somebody here who understands what's happening here. But that just doesn't make sense, right? But the, but the law of the Levite right marriage is for this. The name of the family to take care of the woman and to keep the land in the family. So they're inciting this and then saying, basically, when this happens and they get to heaven, whose wife will this person be? And then that's when they like chuckle. They're like, yeah, Jesus, whose wife will she be? (laughs) And Jesus is like, no, guys, no, it's not gonna work on me. Really quickly though, on angels. So (laughs) really quickly on a couple things. People really really struggle with this who really love their spouse. So in heaven, We kind of have all kinds of different crazy theologies about what happens, right, with even angels. In heaven, marriage will not be like it is here, right? And there's a couple reasons why. Marriage here is, one, it's a picture of the way that Christ loves his church. Two, it gives us the ability to have intimacy on a deeper level with one instead of many. And so I think it's like an out, honestly, a little bit like an out. So in heaven, our intimacies will be geared directly towards one being. Who is that? Corporately. There will no be filtered version of it. There will no be escalating scales of these people kind of love him, so y'all are going to hang out together. It will be unfiltered, unadulterated, massive love for a creator. I heard one guy say this week, as soon as you're one minute into heaven you will know how easy it will be to worship God. Because all we think about is, we're going we're gonna to worship God forever? You guys, we can't even worship for four and a half songs. Then we're too spiritual, right? In heaven, forever. But it'll take just that. You'll be there and you'll be like, oh, oh. So some of you are like, so I won't have my wife? Are you sure? And you're like starting, starting to smirk a little bit. <laughs> yeah, we are not have anybody else's wife or anything like that either, right? It's just you and Jesus. So here... God gave us these things, right, for connection and intimacy. There, you don't need that. The the constraints on the physical realm do not carry over into the next realm, which is very important. Second thing is angels. I do wanna say a little bit, we're not made to worship angels. I do believe that they're real. Angels, somebody said, you know, a lot of people at funerals teach some weird stuff about angels. You hear some jacked up stuff at funerals about angels. Angels were created to minister to God. Angels are there to benefit us. There is a ton of information about angels, their appearance in scripture. If you wanna have a crazy weekend on Friday as you wake, read all that there is about the appearance of angels and just let that go into your weekend with you. It is a lot. There's a few things I would like to share with you about them first though. One, you can pull up the first passage, Bill. Is there a scripture right before this, Bill? Let no one disqualify you insisting on assertion and worship of angels. Going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by, by his sensuous mind. There's a way to be Christian and make Christianity about something not Jesus, right? Jesus is the Christ. It's not angel right? It's not demon It's Christianity, right? So when you make angels more important than they are, and many people do, you do something to Christianity that wasn't intended. It's Christianity, right? It's Christianity. So they're there to help point towards that, right? So there's a few things I want to read you about angels. You can go to the next one. They're created, Colossians 1.16. I'm giving you references. You can pull these up or you can write them down. There are many of them. In Revelation 5.11, if you add up the number that's talked about in that passage, there's over a million angels just in that passage. There's ima- that's just that one setting. We, we've read Old Testament stories. There's also Hebrews 12, 22. We know that there is a vast, huge, created army of them that actually exist and are moving about. Next thing is they're intelligent and they learn. In 1 Peter 1:12. you can read that. It talks about how they actually gain knowledge. Crazy, right? They have emotions, Luke 15, 10. They can choose. We know this from Genesis. We know this for how we get received some of the demonic things that we received, because they can choose, right? In Revelation 12, seven through nine, you can read that. They can appear as people, as in Hebrew 13:2. but I wouldn't say that everybody you think is an angel is an angel, right? But I would say be aware that God has the power to do that, right? If God can make a mountain and a man and a solar system, he can make an angel appear as a human. I've, I don't have no struggle believing that many of you might. That's okay. Minister to God. They are there to help bring glory to God. They also, a couple more things, They, they help us. They help minister to us when we're down, we're struggling. They help fight. I've heard somebody say that if you would instantly see what's happening in the spiritual realm, you would see massive battles. I think in the Old Testament, we talked through a passage a couple months ago where somebody did get to see, and there was an angel army there fighting for him, right? I think... These are real and important to point us to Jesus Christ, not so that we become angel experts and make everything about an angel. Like You shut me down quickly if your whole theology is built around angels or demons. It's got to be built around Christ. These things help prop that up, right? So next I just want to share that the third part of this argument um, that I think is really fascinating. is It comes from Exodus 3, 6. And this is when he's saying to them, so God is the God of the living, not the dead. And this is the passage he gets this from. We can pull it up, Exodus 3, 6. And he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid and could not look at God. He's saying this to say to them, I'm now talking to you in your own arena. These are the first five books. These are the Torah of the Pentateuch. This is what I'm talking to you about. This is the passage of scriptures that you built your whole theology on. This comes from there. He is the God of the living, and these guys at this point were dead. They were resurrected. He's saying to them, these guys are resurrected. They are with Jesus. They are with God. They will be. You've lost your argument. So he's, he's trying to tell them this is over. This is what I want to share with you about. It. This is the most important thing I think I'll say today. Because it's easy to look at the Sadducees, it's easy to say, you've got it wrong, right? Like, you're quite wrong. We can go back and do that. But we all form our Christianity, Christianity spirituality and our heaven and our Jesus in our own image. What they're doing is they're creating their version of what heaven and the supernatural should be based on what they want. The Vikings did it. They called it Valhalla. And they thought that when they got to heaven, they would fight all day and then they would feast all night and all of their wounded warriors would be healed. The Jews did it. They hated water. So any, any form of afterlife was away from water. We do the same thing. We create in our own image what we want to see. I, I believe in the word of God. I believe that it is inspired. But I do believe that some of these images of streets of gold, is that that important? Is that that important? Those kind of things, right? Like we form these future things in what we want to see happen. And so we look at the Sadducees and the Pharisees and their arguments, but they're just doing what we all do. They're forming a heaven and a Jesus in their own image. They're creating what they want to go after because what would it look like? What would it look like in America for heaven to be here? This is where it gets a little hairy, right? So in America as it is in heaven, has America done the same thing that the Sadducees have done. Think about it. Think about in heaven, right? Like, heaven is pure peace. Heaven is unfiltered love. Heaven is unconditional acceptance. Heaven is the most diverse church you've ever been to, right, without having to fake being diverse, or pretend like they're diverse, or like token diversity, like none of that junk is there. It's real. Like you walk in, it's 100% diverse, right? Heaven, this is what's happening. There is no war in heaven, right? There is no mistreating of people. There is no slavery. There is no sex trafficking. Heaven is perfect. So when we say in America as it is in heaven, or you say in my home as it is in heaven, will it look more like your version of what you would like heaven to be or actual heaven? In America as it is in heaven, it looks different than what we've got, guys. That we are the most powerful nation in the world is not on the top of the list. I would be very confident saying it's not on the list. It's not low on the list, it's not on the list. In fact, Jesus comes to die. Jesus comes to abolish a divide between Gentile and Jew and he, it hits the fan because of it. So when we say in my life as it is in heaven, when I say that about my life, what am I really saying? And here's the biggest point. When you bump into those like, so nationalistic Christian, I'm just gonna go here for a little bit. Sarah's like, you're, you're stupid, and I am, I know that. But I lived in the nationalistic Christian realm for all of my, up until I was 30, probably three. Now I'm 40. Probably look like I'm 36 or seven-ish. <laughs> Still got it? So I lived in that realm, and I was unwilling to listen to anyone say anything about the peace of God, because we are the new Jerusalem, and God has blessed our America. That's not the truth, That's not the truth. The key of this passage is the last phrase that says you are quite wrong. What if Jesus walks into your life, your room, what if you know that it's him and he says the exact thing that you fight daily for and he looks at you and says, you are quite wrong. What if Jesus says that to you? I'm not here to divide whose sin is more high, low scale. I'm not talking about I'm just saying if Jesus walks in and says anything to you about anything, and, he, and it's him saying to you, you are quite wrong, what's your interaction? Now, I'm not talking about your community around you. What if Jesus shows up and says, your reading of scripture is actually killing people? That's what he said to the Sadducees. What if he says to you, you have no idea about the power of God? I'm not saying he's saying that to you. I'm saying, does he have space to say that to you? Or have you already kind of funneled through it all and decided it all? Because you haven't. None of us have. Just when we think we've landed, I've I landed really strongly on the nationalistic Christianity for the first part of my, I was, I was ready to fight. I was ready to post a bunch of fake news. Really good at that. Nobody else in here does that. post laugh. So here here was was the second wave of my nationalistic Christian. Sarah's like, you're stupid today. Second wave was I had made the new enemy the wrong enemy. The the new enemy is not the people who are nationalistic Christians. It's not the enemy at all. We're all in the same boat. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. We give each other space to speak, but we all have to hear when we're wrong. We can hear when we're right and we can celebrate it, so can you hear? You're quite wrong. Listen, we've, we've, and this is, this is where we do it. In our young Christian years, we lock into these things that we feel like, this is how it is. I was also the most supernaturally inclined, didn't care about any structure in church for the first five or six years, and would have fought somebody who told me that even a church setting was important, right? No, they're just stifling the presence of God to gather like that? Why are we not opening up more space? I was like, so whenever people talk to me like, you seem like you fight that a little bit. I don't fight it. I was perpetuating it for a very long time that the only space that was God's was space that wasn't controlled by anybody. That's not true. I had to hear, I am quite wrong. God has put people in positions. Even people we don't like, God has anointed them to be in positions, not even just in the church, but in presidential roles. This is, so we have to be able to hear, Josh, you're quite wrong, or I would have just jumped back on another bandwagon. So we have to create a space where people can be in a space and hear you are quite wrong, and hear that a Jesus behind it is not trying to win an argument. Jesus is not trying to win an argument. He's not like, hey, disciples, watch what I do to the Sadducees. They're so dumb, they think they're about to win this. They're gonna use the whole law of the Leverite marriage thing on me. I'm, I'm so ready for this, watch. They're laughing right now, watch, boom. And then he's like high-fiving. He doesn't care to win. He never wants to win. That's not him. Behind his motivation for saying you are quite wrong is always, and here is what is quite right for you. That's Jesus's motivation. He's not trying to win when when he's asking us to be honest about something that we're struggling through. The Sadducees, of course, he just took it completely out of their understanding. Like everything for them was confined within the space of physical. He, did, he talked about angels, resurrection, the next life. He, he was basically saying to them, your, your whole existence is built around things that I'm not here to bring, and I'm bringing them in four days. So there's a lot at stake to you're your quite wrong. And I'm not trying to win, but you need to know that I'm telling you you're quite wrong because I'm trying to bring something in four days that will change everything, everything. It is really sad to be a Sadducee, right? Like, there's the joke, like, that's why they're sad, you see. (laughs) Like, their whole existence was built around what can be accomplished here. Their whole existence, what can I get here now? A lot of us are really just like this. Like, we're trying to get a better job, better husband, some of us, better wife, better house. What can we get here? Like, this track that we get put on, that's not what it's about either. It's not about here. Our treasures are stored up where? Amen. Amen. So so I'm going to close it out. I went all over, and I knew when I was going to do this, there's so much here. I feel like I've offended some people, but I hope that you're offended in a good way that lets you know that the motivation of Jesus is always to bring you something better. But I did want to end with this today. Over the past three or four weeks, I feel like, another just really transparent moment for me. And I, I feel like I've gotta do this or I'll, I'll slip into this like deceitful place. Um, I have this inclination to answer questions before I'm even really sure if I'm being honest. I do that. I've done it to people in this room, like recently. And I've caught myself recently answering people with, I mean, the, the, like the three Enneagram ways to say it's kind of not true. But the true enneagram way to say it would just be it's just lies, like just embellishment of things that don't really matter. Like um, somebody asked me, I don't—they're in this room, so I'm just gonna say it. If I read something and I answered it before I even thought about it last week, and I went home and I was like, Sarah, I, I said I read something I did not read. What is that's a lie? And she was like, Yeah, that's what that's called. <laughs> and I, but. But I have this ability to, to live in this realm where I can do that, but it not really land. And it's like, well, I'm fine. Jesus has not been letting me through that, but he's not been mean to me. So this last season of scripture and messages we've been preaching through, the, the body of Christ, the blessed broken, there's this idea where if you know that you're, you're kind of caught carrying something that's not really, it's kind of lie or sin. That you don't have to feel afraid that Jesus is there, again, to punish and high-five the angels. Look, Josh is an idiot, like I was saying. He's an idiot, right? And pull it under the cursing. No, like, when these things surface in us that we really, truly need to bring before Jesus, we pull them under the blessing. Father, I, I did that. And I'm so comfortable with knowing that I need repentance in my life. I'll share it with our body today, uncomfortably. And many of them will be like, why is he sharing that with us? That's not even just it. There's other things too that, that I feel like I just make okay. So I have found myself literally walking through this process of repentance where I'm like, all right, I'm not gonna personalize this and make it my identity, but I am quite wrong. I know that. I don't wanna take that I'm quite wrong under the cursing and make it a reason why I am all these terrible things. So I just wanna transfer that like, I did the wrong thing. Forgive me, Lord. You know in my heart I really want forgiveness. Father, Just I ask that you would just cleanse me of this idea that I have to embellish things to make myself appear better or not make people upset. And now I pray that you would just, in that place, that you, would just, that you would just now bring your healing and freedom and that you would just help me to feel the weight lift off. I do need you to bless me. These are just reminders, God. I, I really, really, I really wanna live for you and I know that in you that I am free. And so I just wanna be quick to repent, not because, because I'm a bad person and bad people repent to get good, because I wanna live in that freedom that you offer, right? That resurrected freedom, that life, that life more abundantly, that when I'm honest with you, I get. So when you say, Josh, you're quite wrong, help me to hear it in an endearing way. And that's my prayer for you, that you would hear your father in an endearing way say to you, Sarah, you're quite wrong. And that he's not trying to high five, but say to you, come to me with that. I'm actually trying to talk you through where you can be right like he was the Sadducees. So if you wouldn't mind, just close your eyes with me. Worship, you can go ahead and come up. Anytime Jesus, sorry, I'm just gonna, anytime Jesus enters an arena The powers in the area come to him quickly and fight him. That's what happens. That's all, that's Mark. Shows up with a message. The powers that control things in that area show up to stop him. Also, near those powers are the poor craving what he has. In you, the powers that are controlling your life will fight a message like resurrection or forgiveness and repentance. You have to see them the way that Jesus sees them. Also in you, there is a broken spirit and a contrite heart who is thirsty for Jesus, just wanting to know if you can come to him. That's where I'm asking God to touch you today. So Father, today, as we respond to your word in Mark 12, help us to see that we can be quite wrong with you. And that when we are, the most best beautiful thing to do is to be honest about it and bring it under the blessing so that we, we can be restored and redeemed. And for those of us who struggle believing in resurrection, supernatural, I wouldn't even say angels, I would just say resurrection. For those of us who struggle with that, I ask you, Jesus, right now to just minister to everyone in here about what it means to be a resurrected Christian. So, Father, we just want to say thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. We need all of these things this week. As we go forward today, we just ask that you would go before us, lead us, that we would listen. We thank you for every good gift, for they are from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.